0: Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, I'm catching up with two of my colleagues, Kaylee and Nicola, reviewing the year gone by and what a year it has been, and thinking about some of the things that are coming up on the horizon. It feels like a good time for me to say a huge thank you to every single one of my brilliant guests this year and an equally huge thank you to all of you for listening. As I say every week, if you have enjoyed any any of the episodes or want to give me some constructive feedback, do rate or give us a review. It helps other people find the podcast and makes us better. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. And I sincerely hope that you get a break over the summer. Once again, it has been inspirational to behold your resilience, passion, and commitment to your pupils and communities, but please do take some time to look after yourselves after another extraordinary year. I'll be putting out podcasts every two weeks over the summer, so you can take the opportunity to catch up on any you've missed from our extensive back catalogue. Hello. Today, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, uh, Nicola West-Jones, who is Head of Market Research, and Kayleigh Foran, who is our Lead Content Editor. And we are going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on this year in education and what we think might happen next year. So, hi, Nicola and Kayleigh. Welcome to both of you. Hi. Hey. Great to have you with us. Um, now where, where to start really? Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on COVID, partly because it's been such an all consuming presence in the lives of school leaders this year, but I know Kaylee, you did a really good talk uh, for the Festival of Education on this topic about what schools had actually been learning from lockdown and what the, they think they might carry on. Can you maybe kick us off with a, with a quick summary of that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, Uh, You know, I think once schools got past the initial um, mania of figuring out how to work, um, you know, both with skeleton provision in school and kids learning at home and the kind of constantly evolving situation there, there were some really nice things that schools Took away from the remote learning and lockdown process that I think will will carry on and continue to be things going forward. The biggest one I think is an is an emphasis on pastoral support and well being and PSHE. Um, schools have always had that, and that's always been important and a central part of the curriculum. But I think even more so now, there was a real acknowledgement that coming back off lockdown, as kids were settling back into school, if they weren't well in themselves and feeling comfortable and confident and and happy that they wouldn't learn. And I think that's something um, that more schools will place more emphasis on going forward. Um, But I also think there was real creativity more broadly in terms of the way that schools learned from remote learning, real creativity in terms of the way they were using digital platforms and um, kind of digital classrooms whether that was on zoom or microsoft teams or, or google for education whatever it might be um and a real um just a real flexibility i think that that was really nice and a and a focus increasingly on staff well-being and workload that will that we're already seeing is a really key focus for schools going forward yeah it's
0: interesting what you say there because i kind of feel that we we knew um, mental health and wellbeing of pupils and and staff and workload all these issues really important. We talk a lot about them within the sector, but it really feels that that COVID helped push them up the the political agenda a little bit. I mean, maybe we haven't really got the funding there yet um, to see that through, but particularly the sort of I guess the kind of average voter experience or average parent experience. These these things have become a lot clearer because they were the, they were the lived reality, and you know we're still in uncertain times, exams, you know all of these all of these ongoing issues. Um, you know people have have, have experienced anxiety um, in in lots of different ways, but it's it it just feels it just feels that bit clearer a need um, to I to address. That-
1: I think that's right. And I think what was interesting is that what Ofsted and the DFE did during remote learning and during lockdown was a lot of what schools have been telling us they really want from the DFE and from Ofsted anyway, real trust from those bodies that school leaders know their pupils and their staff best, and they know their communities best, and they know what kind of remote learning support, particularly in that first lockdown, was going to be right for their pupils and families and, and right for their staff? And and the DFE and Osted were trusting schools to make a, a judgment call to say, you know, no, if you've got loads of staff who also have young children at home that they are trying to support while doing remote learning for their, you know, for their own classes, then absolutely make a decision about hey one pack a week going home is going to be fine if you've got staff who are capable of more and willing to do more great go for that too and and make that judgment call and i think that that trust was really empowering and school leaders as a result were super creative and and flexible and incredibly resilient as as a result, and didn't you know? Didn't feel like they had to. I mean, more structure came in later, um, but in those in those early phases, I think that that trust from the DFE and Ofsted to allow schools to respond in the way that was right for their context was really important for that.
2: Yeah, I think that I agree, and I think partly that was just down to less down to design and more down to just they were given a few yeah. days' notice. And you know, if you'd yeah. said to schools, right, you've got a year. Uh, before we bring in this new change and you've got a year to to plan for it, I think we might've had a very different response, but, you know, given given three days or whatever it was to to sort this out. And it was just, you know, that baptism of fire where they just had to just do what they, what they had with what they, with what they, what they got, with what they had on their, on their plates. And, um, and I, and I've loved watching schools just evolve during that year. I was interviewing people right at the beginning um, and it was, they were really in that place, you know, March 2020 of just going, yeah, well, we've got a pack, we're sending it out on a Monday, you know, we're delivering it by hand. Um, And then through to about May, when they were starting to think about that kind of digital delivery, and they were experimenting and talking about, well, we've got one teacher who's really, um, really kind of tech savvy, and they are experimenting with you know one remote lesson a week live teaching and and then just seeing the evolve the, the evolution of you know uh, how it completely changed you know from from you know one month to the next almost and schools were just it was just one massive social experiment really or education experiment pedagogical experiment and you know put that you know and and what it looked like in you know by January this year was completely different but you're right you know there, it was lovely that there was nobody telling them how to do it nobody telling them what would work best for them it was absolutely schools driving it and going what have we got in terms of our staff what have we got in terms of our families what have we got in terms of resource and tech um, and people and and leading with that and it's just been a really nice thing to see that that's it's been down to them
1: yeah and I think that and I think that was super clear to us particularly, because a lot of what our members want from us usually is real clarity on government guidance or just kind of an official position. They want us to distill it for them and 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 tell me what I need to do. And in this instance, that's not what they wanted at all. They didn't really care so much, to put it bluntly, what the DFE was saying or what Ofsted was saying what they wanted to know is what are other schools like me doing? And so we kind of, you know, we had to shift as well to go from digesting and keeping people on top. And we were still keeping people on top of the health and safety guidance, but also we were acting kind of like a magnifying glass of, you know, finding those schools who were doing things that were creative or, or innovative or just different. And, and, lifting those up and going oh here you might this might work for you or maybe this thing over here maybe that thing over here and and schools really appreciated being able to see what their colleagues in other parts of the country or you know elsewhere were doing and so they could go oh yeah that would work for us next time and i'm going to think about that going forward um that that real community community of people all going through something together was really really quite something to watch
2: so we ran a, a, um, a survey back in Jan- uh, July last year um, of school business managers, which I think had about 1500 responses. And we were doing a direct compare and contrast with pre COVID and post COVID. And one of the things we asked them about was, you know, how they rated their support from um, the DfE from the local authority and from their trust if they were in one. And I think I went into that thing, expecting um, the response for the, for the DfE to be to be quite low, to be yeah, low ratings around the support they'd had. And that just actually wasn't the case. And I think it's been almost reframed. It's, they weren't looking to the DfE for support. That was part of what this was all about. You know, the DfE were the ones coming out with um, with changes to legislation, et cetera. But, you know, they weren't looking for support. You're right, they were looking for support from each other. And, um, and actually, you know, the DfE has always been recast in a, in a slightly different role throughout this process
0: yeah i think that's um yeah it's an interesting interesting point to consider and and obviously in a in a more school led autonomous system these words that are often bandied yeah. around by government you know it, it, and and leaders who who do as we're saying know their communities particularly where groups of schools are working together with a strong a strong central core there and some resilience and, and capacity to to plan and work around these situations you kind of think yeah it you know the government guidance there's always a place for it but is is something tipping in terms of exactly what people are looking to to DfE for i think that's a really interesting point there and just just wondering um you know it's I wish we were having this conversation when we felt confident (laughs) that necessarily remote learning would be a thing of the past but we're discussing this in mid-july and um you know i'm sure a lot of people are struggling under the weight of burst bubbles and and bubble bubble closures thinking is it is it going to get any better as we kind of quote unquote learn to to live with the virus it it sort of feels that it's going to, it's going to be patchy, whereas yeah, we're talking about about periods of um, you know, a consistent a more consistent picture across the system in terms of whether schools were largely operating remotely with some children in, and you know, this this sort of um, patchy reentry into the new normal. What what are people starting to think about now? I mean, Kaylee, you mentioned Ofsted um, a little bit there. Uh, what, what kinds of things are people thinking about going into September, would you say from your kind of conversations?
1: Um, I think that there's still a, a bit of a concern to that sort of remote learning point, especially with the D with the government's new guidance for schools where, you know, bubbles don't necessarily have to burst, but individual pupils here and there may be self isolating through, through the autumn term. And, you know, we don't know how long for, um, I think there is still some concern about how you make remote learning work when you've got individual kids here and there. I think it's almost easier when whole classes are closed or whole year groups are closed. And so I think there will continue to be some kind of question about the way to make that work really well um, and the way to manage that without a ton of workload on staff. But that also doesn't compromise the education that those pupils are getting. Um, so I think that will continue to be a concern. But I think more broadly, there is a sense that things are returning to normal a little bit. Ofsted and you know, Ofsted inspections as they normally happen are coming back in September with some notable um, changes in the recent kind of from the recent changes to the inspection handbook. But I think, yeah. Schools will be thinking a lot about um, that pastoral support, particularly PSHE. And now in light of the recent um, Ofsted report and the changes to keeping children safe in education and increasing focus on sexual harassment and harmful sexual behaviors more broadly um, will be a real focus for schools. I think workload and wellbeing for staff will continue to be a real focus. but also really flexible, like to that workload and well-being point, really flexible CPD and, and a more personalized approach to CPD that takes into takes into account where individual members of staff are, um, and a refocus, I think, on the strength of your curriculum. Um, I think it's it's easy to forget that you know the Ofsted, the announcement of the new Ofsted framework precipitated this huge wave of schools rethinking or revisiting the strength of their curriculums and putting all of this work into review and that new framework came in in September 2019 and in March 2020 schools were closed Um, and and now there's all of this all of the implications of I don't want to say lost learning because it you know it's not we're not filling a bag are we it's but. That, that time in class that that kids lost and that time with their teacher and, you know, thinking about the, the curriculum you have to cover and, and the progress that you need to help pupils make, I think there will be a real refocusing on, on the strength of the, the curriculum and this really high-quality teaching will be the highest priority, I think.
2: Yeah, I would totally echo that, Kaylee. Um, I mean, if you just think about, you know, I imagine very few schools back when um, the Austin inspection framework was um, launched were in that position where they were kind of good to go with it. You know, everybody was on a journey at different stages of that journey, and most schools were on a kind of three year journey to what they really wanted to end up with. And then that whole journey was paused right at the beginning, they didn't get off the starting tracks. And so, you know, It's it's, it's wider than that, isn't it? Because it's it's the people that need to lead that curriculum. And those people, those subject leaders, those middle leaders um, who were gearing up to go and gearing up for this kind of big role when Ofsted comes knocking to, you know, for the deep dive on your subject or to sort of stand up to governors and and really confidently talk about where your subject was at. Those people have basically been put on hold. um, And yeah I feel like there's a lot of work coming down the line for you know they've they've obviously spent some time during the last year focusing on their curriculum but now they're now they're in the zone of okay we've got to actually run with this we've got to think about assessment of those foundation subjects in particular we've got to be Ofsted ready um and we've got to we've got to show that we've made some progress since <laughs> since 2019 um and I, yeah and it's it's affecting it's affecting all schools and and effectively all staff unless you're talking about you know being in a large primary school um where you know you you possibly don't have um a subject leadership role you know most people have got something on their um leadership agenda to to, you know something to lead yeah
0: um and Kaylee, you mentioned um cpd there for for staff nicola I know that's something that you've been um, focusing some research around. Is there anything you'd like to add there?
2: Well, I mean, we found in a survey that we ran in uh, June, 44% of school leaders telling us that they plan to increase their CPD over the, the next uh, 12 to 18 months. And that's partly down to the fact that not much like-for-like like CPD has happened in the last 12 months. Lots of CPD has happened, but when you actually ask school leaders what it was you know it's self-directed study or it's things like first aid and manual handling um health and safety kind of style cpd that you know, it's not it's not been done it's just that some of those rich conversations um peer-to-peer with professionals have has not happened um so there's this big um, effort to ramp that up so uh so 97 percent um in our survey told us that they believe access to good cpd really encourages people to stay in the profession and i think at a time where so many people are beaten down with workload and the stress that's, um, that they've had to deal with in the last 12, 18 months. Um, You know, CPD possibly is that thing that's going to lift them up and continue and help them, you know, make that decision to stay. Um, We also found that 88% believed CPD um, was um, really either important or extremely important to the post-pandemic recovery of their school. And I think this is interesting. You know, this is something that's, leaders and teachers have not had to deal with before they've not had to you know everyone's used to dealing with okay we've got a certain cohort in this class or in this year group or across the school yeah maths is dipping here and we could address it but you know trying now to make sense of the data across your school in terms of where to focus the effort really involves this absolutely um forensic approach to data and testing Um, I I spoke to, I did an interview with somebody the other day who had a really slightly creepy but interesting way of seeing it. They were saying, you know, they want to, they'd like to invent some kind of AI tool on a test so that a child um, was, could be almost tracked in terms of their eye contact and in terms of how much time they would spend on each test question, which would be a proxy for the teacher then saying, aha, even though they got there in the end, they spent a disproportionate amount of time on this question. Or, you know, they might have answered 18 out of 20 and got 18 out of 20 correct. But actually, the two that they didn't get to answer, they spent half of their 20 minute allocation on those two questions. And it's that that's going to help leaders and teachers to understand where do we put the effort? You know, it's not just we need to sort out maths, is it we need to sort out you know, shape, space, and measure, or what, what is it specifically that these children haven't learned? And, you know, so much of the curriculum teachers have done this absolutely valiant effort to um, to carry on teaching um, throughout the pandemic, but the learning is the bit that we're now kind of realising, mm, maybe that didn't quite happen. Um, you know, it's so, it's it's only one, you know, teaching and learning is, you know, it's absolutely two, two equal parts, and if The teaching is brilliant, but the learning hasn't quite happened because you've not been able to do all of those things around differentiation and assessment for learning. It's really hard for teachers to know where to put the focus. So, yeah, CPD around that, CPD around that, uh, I think is going to be really interesting and and integral to to that recovery. Um,
0: Yeah, and I'm interested. uh, We're we're all of us governors, uh, (laughs) and obviously we... um, work on, on on content and materials for governors as well, do you think there's anything um in particular that governors are really focusing on at the uh, the end of this very kind of long year uh, any anyone got a sense there
1: I think one of the things that's been really hard um, as as a governor and and from from talking to other governors is that governors struggle at the best of times to develop the amount of context they need to have a really deep understanding of what's happening in their schools and to be able to put some of these little things that they hear in meetings into a wider context and that's totally understandable because governors are volunteers and they're not in school all day every day and that it's not their job to be but things have this has been such a bizarre year and things have been so different from what they normally are that i think one of the things that's slightly daunting for governors is figuring out how you make the best decisions possible and help your school leaders to make the best decisions possible when you don't have the information you would normally have you don't have the data points you would normally have you have you might have some data points that you would normally collect like internal assessment stuff but there's um there's a ton more information sitting behind each one of those data points. Each one, each one of those data points is a child who's had an exceptionally difficult year, and a, a teacher who's had an exceptionally difficult year. And how do you distill all of that and and pick out what's what's really important and what's really salient? And that's really hard. Um, and unfortunately, you know, from you know from our we've we've struggled with this you know as the key because we would love to help, but every school is its unique, its own unique ecosystem. And it's really hard to pull out those, those national trends and to kind of see what's happening across the board. Um, And it really does sometimes just take people in a place in a time having sometimes really long, complicated, detailed conversations to build that understanding. And, and that can just be Really scary and really draining. I think for, you know, for governors and for, and for school leaders, it's just it's just hard.
2: I think we found as a, as a governor, um, my governing board have found you know just not being able to go in to school has been the most challenging thing in a way because it's absolutely you know we we've, we've worked around it. We've had um, meetings with SLT or key members of staff and asked them those questions that we would normally ask them on a learning walk, uh, and they can confidently answer those those questions and that's fine. But we just have to take it, you know, in good faith that, they're, you know, I'm not, they would never not tell the truth. But, you know, the whole point of the triangulation of the learning walk and, you know, echoing what you, you know, seeing what you, seeing something on the wall and that echoes what you've been told and looking at a book and talking to a child. And, you know, and, and schools have been um, trying to find ways around this, you know, where we've been offered remote chats with children. But it is, you know, it's an artificial environment. And I think, you know, just being able to go in and in a really kind of, you know, actually, relaxed way and just soak up the school has been impossible. And the other thing that I think is is always the hardest thing about being a governor, which is finding that balance between support and challenge, is even harder now because you're coming absolutely coming at it from the point of of support, totally understanding the pressures everyone's been under. Um, you know, as a parent, I, absolutely aware of you know the, some of those challenges, um, and as an ex teacher and but equally, how are we moving these children on? And, you know, so trying to find that balance in a way that's, you know, you're going to keep people in the profession and not, you want know, to hold them to count, but but in a really supportive and oh, it's really tricky. It's a tough line. Yeah, no, and I think
0: the other thing that, that I would probably add as well, and um, you know, we're fortunate in a way working where we do because you do get a sense of what's going on in other schools. But I think for governors in particular, as we only sit on one governing body and only have experience of that one school, and it's you know, you put comparing historic trends is a lot less meaningful <laughs> at the moment. You yep. sort of want to try and understand what is everybody else doing, and and for us actually, we've we've um you know, we found it really interesting talking to the the parents on the governing body about their experiences of being supported with the right learning how their children are finding it and you know that's been really good for us to understand that connection and those who have pair of children at other schools kind of going actually it's not we're not getting quite the same level of of interaction um that's yeah. not to say any one school is better or worse but you know it's it, it it gives you a bit
2: more of a rounded picture um I
0: think yeah
2: to add to that, there was um we you know on our one of our Facebook groups I think it was a, a primary school leaders Facebook group that we run. Um, there was a really interesting chat on that recently with um, a head teacher talking about, you know, just putting it out there like is there is everybody else's data as bad as ours? You know, what does everyone else's data look like right now? And just kind of trying to get a sense of is it just us <laughs> that's dipped here this badly, or is this normal? You know, trying to get that benchmark. I think is is absolutely needed at the moment, you know, if nothing else to reassure people that yet yeah, the strategy is correct, that, that absolutely they've done everything right or haven't done anything wrong, you know, and yes, and we don't have that. So in the absence of SATs, that's going to be another year of, oh, you know, have we made the right decisions? You know, we're all acting on this data. And it, you know, does the data compare with others?
0: Yeah, exa- exactly. So, um, and uh yeah it will be interesting because obviously we've we've done we've done a bit of polling and and had conversations with with a lot of governing bodies sort of trying to understand how the remote real life balance switches up as and as and when restrictions kind of permit um personally in my governing body we're looking at remote committees governing bodies face to face um but you know that 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 kind of rhythm and thinking about getting people back into school in a way that isn't obstructive but as you say like you need to be there present sometimes for that triangulation piece
2: I think that's really interesting what you just said about the meetings and personally we, we have run a poll on this and I think most people are really positive about the experience of sitting on a governing body meeting remotely you know there's lots of great things around you know you get your time back you can you know you're not it's not interfering with um, work or home life. It's just you can ad- you can fit it in amongst, you know, in your busy life much easier. Um, and and actually the kind of rules of engagement are almost easier remotely because, you know, you've got that kind of formality if you raise your virtual hand and you wait to speak and nobody interrupts each other and, um, you know, and you can keep to time or you can see the papers on your screen at the same time as, you know, you see the agenda and, every, you know, you're not shuffling around with 20 pages of a 4 you know, lots of that's really really positive but yes it you you cannot do those monitoring visits remotely it's just no. you know, it's impossible
0: although i did speak to some students on friday when i was doing my they were terrified
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it a, na- a natural flow to the chat <laughs>
0: <No>. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: Particularly is, the younger one
0: it is really really tricky for all concerned um so thinking thinking forward uh and and things that we are aware are are on the horizon um from from DfE or other sources or other conversations we're having content we may be planning uh what kind of of things are we expecting to see more of in the next academic year
1: um i think the first one and we we touched on this a little bit earlier is that the um Ofsted has updated its inspection handbooks, and there's a revised version of Keeping Children Safe in Education that comes into force in September, and both of those have an increased focus on um, just sexism, sexual harassment, and and harmful harmful sexual behaviors, and we've already started hearing from schools about—and we knew this was tricky before, but we've already started to hear from schools— As we've started to reach out about the the content that we're working on to support with this, about just how tricky this can be. Um, Designated safeguarding leads and and school leaders more broadly are, are put in this position where they're having to deal with these incredibly complicated, deep rooted challenges and find, you know, swift, fair, resolutions to to these incidents. And and a lot of this stuff, a lot of, you know, what what came out really strongly in the Ofsted report, a lot of the the bedrock of this challenge is is societal. It's not just in schools. And so these things are really hard to shift. Um, it's really hard to unlearn all of those those kind of sexist phrases you just say without thinking about it. And to unpick some of the stereotypes you don't even realize you hold. Um, and and those things are really difficult. But what's been great is that following that Ofsted report, I think there was a real sense from the sector that of a, a real deep engagement with it and, and a real purposeful thinking about how schools can move forward and start to create that or or strengthen their, their whole school this whole school. Culture that Ofsted is is recommending, and there's a real openness to saying, yeah, actually, we we haven't nailed this, we haven't got it right, we we don't quite know, and and we are working at, at the key on kind of a, a package of guidance to help to help with that, both from a behavior perspective and from a kind of staff training and awareness perspective. Um, but I think that that will be a much more um. A, a much stronger focus in in the year to come and not not just because it's you know there's now more of it in keeping children safe so you kind of have to I think it's a much deeper engagement than we have to so we're going to pay it lip service or we're going to write it in a policy I, I think it's much bigger than that which is which is good to see
0: yeah and you know there's there's parallels I guess with um the anti-racist um Absolutely. work as well that you know it's it's trying to to build something that we haven't experienced or seen necessarily ourselves um yeah so you know it will be iterative and, and 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 people will need to learn and share um share from each other
2: i i completely agree you know this we're at the beginning of a really long journey and i say that's a lifelong feminist it's really depressing to think we are at this beginning but <coughs> my eight-year-old daughter said to me the other day and i just it really took me by surprise when we were talking about the the World Cup and, you know, the first time the um, the team have been in the final for 55 years. And she said, no, no, mummy, it's, no, that's the, the men's team. The women's team have done it, you know. And I just, and of course, that's come from her brilliantly feminist class teacher, but <laughs> brilliant, you know, and, and I've noticed yeah. the BBC and, you know, they've now, you know, we now talk about the men's final. I mean, you know, that, that's not happened before I've never seen men's final written anywhere it's it's the, yeah the that's true there's so many little things you do that just seep in and you know it's it, it's absolutely not on the heads of teachers to be kind of to be you know changing the the language but you know if as as these things change in society you know we will be chipping away at this I just you know obviously we've got to hope it doesn't take um you know, many more decades, but but yeah, there's two things. There's that there's there's the everyday language and the everyday sexism and racism that um that you know is everybody's responsibility, and then there's that wider issue of um sexual harassment and sexual abuse and the other things experienced through that. Everyone's invited that everyone's invited campaign has thrown up, and and those two things are you know related, but um, it is absolutely this is on the school's agenda but that 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 latter
1: issue for sure. Yeah, I. I think I think what's been I think what's been really um, encouraging and it is how vocal um, kind of this the sector itself has been in a lot of this. So um, kind of in you know groups of educators like BAME Ed or um, there's you know there's groups of LGBTQ plus educators and you know these bringing together these diverse voices in the education sector. Have helped a sector which is in its leadership overwhelmingly white um and overwhelmingly male actually predominantly straight uh or you know or or cisgender or what you know all of these these things that we can it's helping them see what true engagement looks like you know one of the things that was really Great is as we were developing our content around LGBTq plus inclusion and anti you know and anti racism work within schools, we created resources that were designed to help give staff space to to learn or unlearn things and schools are recognizing that as a a step, as, as an important first step, kind of educating, and it kind of ties into that CPD point, doesn't it? Like the, you know, this is an important first step that you have to take, and writing it in a policy or writing it in your SDP is not enough, and everyone sees straight through that anyway, so it doesn't actually matter if it's written down on a piece of paper somewhere. It matters if you're giving staff and pupils the space to have these discussions and to talk about these things and think about these things. It matters that you're engaging with your community on these topics. And there's been there's been really fantastic modelling in the sector about how to do this really well. Mm-hmm.
0: And yet, as you say, it's that it's that commitment to learn alongside the community and saying this isn't about us having having the answers. Um, and you know, school, schools are places of learning and education, and, and, and that's absolutely as it as it should be. Um, any, anything else that that we think is going to be? Um, we've we've talked we've talked a bit about to about curriculum and the kind of return of offset inspections. Um, I suspect funding might be something.
1: It it seems like um, it, it seems like the the government are going to make some some adjustments potentially to the national funding formula to make it um, easier for trusts to understand where their money comes from and how much of it they get um, the kind of the first stages of the national funding formula absolutely made things more transparent for maintained schools which is great and for individual academies which is also which is also good but within trusts if you've got schools in multiple local authorities you've still got multiple funding formulas and multiple different sets of sets of factors that you're dealing with which can be really confusing um and so it seems like there will be some some movement there and i wouldn't be surprised if there's further if it it goes further than that because the the national the recent national audit office report has thrown up some interesting points for the dfe to consider about the the balance of how much funding goes where and and how the national funding formula has moved funding around between the most um uh, the most well-off and the least well-off areas in the country so I, I think there will be broader movement there yeah
2: and i mean just generally speaking i don't want to bring it back to catch up but you know that's going to be uh, we we've, we ran a survey again in june time and a majority said that the catch-up fund is just not sufficient to pay for everything that they they need to do and you know that's that's you know coming on the on the against the backdrop of you know funding issues um so yeah i think think the whole the whole thing around catch-up is you know it, it does cost money as we know and um and kevin collins you know quite rightly, in my opinion, to, you know, to, to maybe not to stand down, because it would have been brilliant. But, um, but, you know, to, to make a big point out of this, you know, it, it does cost money, guess what, it, you know, guess what, to to really, to level it up, it, that's, that's a member of staff working, a trained member of staff, preferably within your school, who knows those children, who knows the wider context of the families, who's not, you know, on the end of a remote, um virtual experience but actually knows those children and knows their capabilities in other areas knows what their handwriting looks like those you know them as a person to to take those children aside and have the physical space to do that because that's the other thing you know it's even if you have the staff if you have this surplus of staff covering off this kind of these lessons you still need the space to do it and that's before you even get into um Social distancing. <laughs> how many how many schools have these extra like anti rooms, all these these little extra classrooms that can take this? It's just you know it's expensive, um, and yeah, the budgets are going to be absolutely um, up against it in terms of you know the need. Uh, and I think yeah, we just it 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 goes elsewhere as well. I mean, we we ran this survey um, which talked about you know what schools were doing over the summer. Um, and beyond for catch up and um, only 18 percent said that they were they were wanting to run summer programs and a lot of that was actually down to we don't think the people, the people's need a break the, the teachers need a break that was absolutely the main finding there but it was also down to we can't afford it you know we, we, we it costs money to persuade staff to come in over the summer holidays you know that's we're not doing that for free um, no. and similarly with extending the school day we found 75 percent are absolutely not in September and we're considering extending that school day by you know even 20 minutes here and there because guess what you've got to pay people to do that and where is the money coming from um so it'd be interesting to see how they do manage to get round those gaps without having the resource to pay for
0: it exactly so and um i feel bad now because we're ending on a <laughs> on a slightly slightly tough note
2: a a positive spin on that and i think this is a positive spin i think the fact that um school leaders are not forcing children to um, you know, do extra homework over the summer holiday or not forcing them to come in over the summer or not asking them to you know come in at seven thirty in the morning on you know you know this is all for them this is about mental health and respect for their teachers and respect for their pupils and I think that voice has come through really loudly that you know they this is not an exam factory this is not about Getting people to where they would have been before, you know, this is about human beings, and I and I think that is a real vote for, um, for you know, these are people we're dealing with, they're not machines. So yeah, I think there is a positive to be found in that.
0: Here, here. Yeah, yeah, and um, of course there will be the seemingly inevitable fallout of exams, um, and the provisions made this year, and obviously we're already looking at the consultation on what might happen next year and um finding it, if you change courses midway through a two year course that can get a bit tricky um so i i expect I expect a lot more um workload associated um with with assessment would you guys agree
1: yeah i think that's i think that's right um if you know and and not just uh, all the way through not just on the on the secondary end i think one of the things that this, you know, this time out of school and in and out of in and out of lockdown and whatever has has shown is that having teachers who really know their stuff, really know their pupils, and have really robust kind of ass- assessment assessment skills, both personally, but that the school has really robust systems in place, is is really important. And that you know, having supporting those really robust teacher judgments with you know, there's going to probably, I mean, I would say we started having these conversations um, at the school where I'm a governor, more moderation than we would normally do with, within a year to help support those those really effective judgments in the absence of things like SATS results. And and I would say that, yeah, I, I'd i say a lot of a real focus alongside the curriculum on really robust assessment is going to be key.
0: Yeah. And um, I think, you know, upping up the frequency of it, as a sort of um, measure in case of, you know, future absences from schools, you know, having having something more regular, le- potentially lower stakes, um, that 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 it's you know kind of swinging back in the other direction from, you know, not doing lots and lots of data drops to actually thinking, well, yeah, how do we get some real quality? We kind of sure we know where these children are if they don't have mocks or if they don't have exams um so it would be interesting to see how that one develops anything you'd like to say to our to our listeners before we close out
2: i mean just a massive massive thank you actually um you know it's I, i you know education is one of those topics where everybody's got a voice everybody's been to school so everybody has an opinion you know everybody can talk about their own school days their own teachers if you've got kids you can talk about that you know but unless you've Unless you've been there and done it, you know, I'm sorry, but your opinion, in my in my opinion, you know, is is less valid. You know, I think, <laughs> that, I think these these uh the teaching staff, the support staff, you know, the office staff, the premises staff, the school leaders leading everybody, the trust leaders pulling it all together. Um, you know, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, we thought last year was bad. You know, if we'd be having this conversation this time last year, we would have kind of, you know, we were wiped our brow and you know said, wow, what a year. But but, uh, you know, it's been a whole other year on top of that, you know, four months we were in last year. You know, and during that time we've had the bubble system, we've had the the um lateral flow test to deal with, we've had, you know, third wave, we've had, you know, it's just unbelievable. It's been relentless for these people. And I just think, you know, everybody deserves a massive break. I really hope they get it. I really hope that, you know, I think the government, you know, absolutely right to publish this guidance with plenty of time before the end of term for schools to get their ducks in a row for September on things like the bubbles and systems and, 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 and testing. And I, I just, I really hope that they have a huge break and I just, you know, a massive thank you to, um, to everybody involved.
1: I, I really, I really second that. And if, if I might, because we've talked a lot about, um, we've talked a lot about teachers and, and teaching um, I, I think it's it's probably worth a mention of the absolutely critical support staff in schools, without whom I'm not entirely sure how any of this would have worked. Uh, the number of school business managers and premises managers and and you know every everything in between who have made staggered pickups and drop-offs work, who have made on-site testing work, who have made the logistics of of 15 pupil bubbles and then 30 pupil bubbles and year group bubbles and and all of this stuff work has it, it's been an absolute absolutely heroic effort um and just a a, a massive well done and, and thank you
0: and the cleaners
1: yeah. oh the cleaner <laughs> and
2: the children, <laughs> <Not for> <laughs> children.
0: <laughs>
2: and actually and actually the parents we need to thank the parents too yeah. <laughs>
0: And indeed well m- my turn to thank both of you for taking the time to talk to us today and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at keysupport.com and please tell us what you think of the podcast rate review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at the keysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions